This is the CQ University Australia podcast, where we talk to some of the university's interesting characters. Hello and welcome to CQ University's podcast, The Grapevine. I'm Izzy Symes and today I'm speaking with Senior Lecturer and Head of Course for Environmental Science, Dr Nathan English. Welcome Nathan. Hey, thanks for, thanks for choosing me. <laughs> no, thank you for joining me. Let's cut straight to the chase. I'm hearing an accent in the voice, so... Oh, no way, mate. <laughs> Try that again. No way, mate. Oh, dear. <laughs> we need a little practice, I think. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, bad. where does it come from? Uh, I'm originally from Oregon on the west coast of the United States, so... Right. So, yeah. what um, brings a boy from Oregon in the United States to, to sunny Townsville? Uh, look, I... Uh, came out here uh, when uh, my partner got a job at JCU and I picked up uh, work uh, at JCU and then um, as they reorganized over there I came over to CQU so um, that's where that's how I ended up out here basically for work. Okay cool so that's a very um, short (laughs) yeah look uh, yeah look because I Came over here, brought the family and kids over, and, and since then separated from the partner who was at JCU. So, there's, it's a it's a long story, but it's really nice being here in Townsville because it's a great place to raise my kids, and I don't ever regret moving to Australia. Um, I tell people it's really nice to send my kids to school and not worry about them getting shot. So, it's a we'll just start the podcast off on a on a really. <laughs> But yeah, really, I love living in Townsville, and Australia itself is a is a really nice country to live in. It's the as far as livability, it's fantastic. So I really like I like living here. I'm glad so I came. You talk about your children and their upbringing here. Tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Um, oh. Yeah, so I was a child of the '70s in Portland. I don't know if anybody's been there, but Portland is very much a progressive, very um, people like to say keep Portland weird. Um, because it's a unique place. It's got a lot of really interesting culture, and my family didn't uh, change that at all. We, So I grew up in a very non-traditional family. So my mother's, I had two mothers, so my mom was a lesbian, um, but I also maintained the relationship with my father, and I also had another father as well. So I've got two, I've got multiple, and because my father's remarried some, some a couple times, I've got multiple fathers, multiple mothers. It's, it's a it's a family bush and not exactly a family uh, tree, but I love everybody's wonderful. It's a, it's a loving family. Um, it's just got, a, I've got a lot to do when I go home for Christmas. Oh, I bet. So, yeah, but I really like it. It's, a, it's, um, it's really nice. Um, I get different things from different parents and I, I really enjoyed and growing up in Portland was a wonderful experience too, because it was a city that was very much about public transportation. So as a young person, I was able to get around by myself quite a bit, and so a lot of independence, and and I, I really miss my home city. Mm-hmm. Um, if 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 I had to pick something I don't like about living in Australia, it's that I'm I'm not close to my family and I'm not close to my city because I really have a strong pull mm-hmm. to that place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, have you 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 mentioned children before? Mm-hmm. Um, you've got I've got two boys, mm-hmm. dirt and blood covered in noise. <laughs> Although they're a bit beyond the dirt and blood stage now, thankfully. So they're 13 and 15. Um, but they're both wonderful young men. Well, one's a young man, one's still an a older a older child. Um, but they're fantastic, and they both have really different personalities. One's really just kind and generous, and the other one's a class clown. 
um, and really bright and smart and will um, give you a smart Alec comment even if you don't ask for it. Huh. Yeah. I've got a six and four year old and they sound very similar in those types of uh, personality descriptions. So it sounds like I've got some excitement ahead of me. You do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, uh, it, they're, they're nice and I, I really like it. They don't, they're not necessarily interested in exactly the same things I'm interested in. So they pull me into their interests uh, a little bit, which is nice. So my younger son's doing business right now at, at high school and he really likes that. And so pulls me in when we talk about his homework and and it's nice to sort of see him interested in something that's that he feels like is his own. Mm-hmm. And so that's great. And I've always said if they want to be watercolor artists, as long as they're happy, I'm, I'm happy with that too. So important. Yeah. yeah. Um, talking about interests, uh, obviously the environment is something that takes a huge interest for you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, I've always been, I've always loved the outdoors. I've always loved camping. I've always loved uh, the natural sciences. Um and I think I find that it's sort of like my church is being outside. And I find the wonder and the awe and the beauty of it really just fantastic. And uh, especially growing up in Oregon, which is a fantastically beautiful green place with tall mountains and deep forests and blue ocean and rivers and, and just, a, you know, just wonderful uh, experiences. And so I find I really, really like the outdoors. I'm passionate about it. And helping to preserve that, not just for my children and my children's children, but for every generation that's to come is a really important thing for me. So is that what led you into the path of academia in that field? No, actually not really. What I, I started off my academic, my college career as a U.S. history major, and I got about a year into that, and I realized that people are kind of awful. <laughs> and so I changed to uh, geology which is history, but without all the animosity. So I uh, really, and then geology is just a fantastic sport. So much fun. You can take it anywhere you go. It makes every road trip an an adventure and exciting and interesting. Um, So I really became passionate about uh, the science aspect of nature uh, in undergraduate. And I was an environmental geology major. Uh, and then once I finished with that, I moved to uh, University of Arizona, where I continued sort of my academic research uh, in a master's. And that was doing research in the Himalayas. And I just hooked ever since and just really enjoy um, not just geology, but plants, um, atmosphere, hydrology. All of those things are really interesting to me. And I, I'm always trying to seek out is something, <clears throat> some piece of knowledge that nobody's ever figured out before no matter how small Mm -hmm. Uh, and I really think that's a that's a real it's a huge buzz to discover Mm -hmm. something that nobody else in the world has ever uh, at least published before Um, they may have known it but to to codify that knowledge for the Mm -hmm. first time is a really a huge rush and I find that incredibly rewarding and so I've sort of been chasing that Mm -hmm. throughout my academic career and have you achieved that? Yeah, a couple times, mm-hmm. and it's really fun when you do it. Mm-hmm. So the the first time was looking at um, trying to source archaeological timbers in a north one of the largest North American uh, pre-Columbian ruins, and it's uh, in Chaco Canyon. It's a, a couple of uh, uh, what we, they were abandoned pueblos essentially, and they're uh, ruins there now. But they incorporated something like 350,000 timbers into the architectural uh, style there. They're used as as window beams or roof beams, things like that. And it turns out that about a third of those came from 
mountain ranges 70 uh, kilometers away. And nobody had known sort of which mountain ranges they'd come from. There were a couple of choices around there. And we were able to use uh, an isotope of strontium. And isotopes are just little atoms with a weight problem. And they come in different ratios and different materials. And we could use the strontium isotopes to fingerprint where those particular wood beams had come from, which mountain ranges they'd come from. And that was really cool because nobody had done that before. Everybody speculated about where they'd come from, but nobody had ever actually provided any solid quantitative evidence. And we were able to say, look, we, we are fairly certain that these timbers are consistent with having come from this uh, mountain range. And there's really no other option there. So that was pretty cool. Mm. And then the next time we did it is when we started looking at cactus spines. Now, the cactus research I did in North America was on saguaro cactus, and I think everybody's pretty familiar with saguaro cactus, because if you've ever watched cartoons and they show a cactus, it's the one with the big arms, um, and that's a saguaro, so it's an iconic cactus. Mm -hmm. And we did uh, research on that, and we were looking at the spines, and we did some other research that looked at climate and, and isotopic variability in the spines, but the coolest thing I thought was that if you look at the spines very closely on a cactus, especially like some of the larger barrel cactus and columnar cactus, especially when they're young, you'll see little like zebra stripes in the spines, little transverse bands in the spines. And when I looked at those, I'm like, that is so weird. And you see them really well on barrel, fish hook barrel cactus because they end up being ridges. And I'm like, they, they look like some sort of um, time indicator. You know, was, yeah, it, was but... it a month? Was it, you know, just a rainy season? Was it an annual? Was it one year per little band? And so I went out and did an experiment, and I bet my friend some beer. Because I had, I had a suspicion, and I'd done a little work, that they were worth, that they were, each one of those little bands was a diurnal band, a daily band. Yeah, right. And so I bet my friend a six-pack of beer. I said, I bet these are daily bands. And we went out, and we just used some fabric paint from the hobby shop and painted the base of a bunch of these spines. And then we came back a week later, and voila, there were seven bands. Wow. And so we turned that into a paper, or part of a paper, and so now it's really sort of, if you're, into, if you're really into cactus spines, <laughs> and I know there's about 10 people in the world who are, um, it's a really, it's a, it's, we know that those bands typically represent uh, daily, daily fluctuate, daily growth of the cactus. That's and it's incredible. cool. And it's really cool because a cactus spine can grow almost a millimeter in a day. Wow. And nobody ever thought, I mean, nobody looks at cactus and go, wow, those things grow really fast. Nice. Nobody ever says that. Maybe even the opposite. It's right. They're like the turtles of the mm, plant world, that's right? right? No, they grow their, their spines yeah. grow really, really fast, yeah, and so it's really pretty cool. So those are the two things I was I've been really excited about, sort of discovering, quote unquote, because yeah. I'm sure somebody's noticed it before, but we were the uh, first people to publish that, so that Fantastic. was pretty cool. Did you get your beer? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <Lucky. laughs> yeah, I collect on those nets. That's the way. Um, now, I understand that you do uh, research now, and um, I've heard tree rings being thrown around. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, and did that stem from the cactus? Yeah, so a lot of the principles in dendrochronology, which is the study of tree rings, uh, tree ring w uh, widths, and how they relate to either the uh, climate or uh, physiology or plant growth, things like that. So dendrochronology uh, a lot of the principles in dendrochronology we used in our cactus research because nobody had been doing the kind of research on spines that we were doing. And so we had to borrow from a lot of different fields, from biology, from chemistry. Um, and one of the fields we borrowed heavily from was dendrochronology. And when I came to Australia, there wasn't a lot of, um, there aren't a lot of cactus here. So I basically had to shift gears away from cactus, and what I had skills in was dendrochronology. Mm -hmm. And what we do know, and we've known for a while, 
is that when we look at climate records of the most recent past, and for me the most recent past is the last couple thousand years, mm -hmm. um, when we look at the records for that, most of those records come from the high latitudes. So North America, Europe, uh, the southern parts of Chile, uh, New Zealand, Tasmania. That's where a lot of our uh, tree ring climate records come from. And they're incredibly important for how we look at climate change today because they give us that context in which current climate change is happening. But we don't have a lot of records from the tropics. And the tropics is where we expect to see a lot of change uh, in, with future climate change. And so having records from the tropics is really important. And because I was based in Townsville, and because there are some trees that have uh, uh, sort of annual rings in them, which mm -hmm. is what a requirement for dendrochronology is the tree grow annual rings, which is hard to find in the tropics because you don't have those strong seasonal fluctuations. But there are trees. And so we started, uh, we got a, an ARC decra, um, and we started to look at trees up on uh, the tablelands near mm -hmm. Atherton. And we've looked at that, and that research has led into other research uh, using hoop pines, kari pines, um, and other sort of uh, primitive gymnosperms, essentially, so primitive pine trees. Okay. Uh, and so those tend to have annual rings. And so we've been using those now to look at the past uh, 150, 200 years of climate, and we're hoping to extend those records back uh, 400 years. Wow. So, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah. And then those are useful. And I'm, you might be getting to this point now, but I'm just going to jump ahead. Fine. Who cares, right? Why do we? Why do we give a? Uh, why do we care? Um, <laughs> I've also learned to swear really well in Australia, but I'm trying not to. We care because um, if we want to plan and manage uh, future climate change, we have to know more about how climate is going to fluctuate. Now we know the temperature is going to increase. What we don't understand is how those increases in temperature are going to affect things like El Nino or the Pacific De Decadal Oscillation or the Indian Pacific Oscillation, so or the Indi sorry the Indian Ocean Dipole or the Southern Annual Remote, and these are all climate phenomena that have cycles in them that are more than just a year. In fact, the the PDO, the Pacific Decadal Oscillation, um, has a cycle of about forty years, right? Yeah. And so if you want to understand how the Pacific Decadal Oscillation impacts uh, northern Queensland or Queensland climate, you've got to have 10 cycles of that at least, right? So that's 400 years of record. So mm -hmm. getting tree rings back uh, uh, tree and, and climate proxy records that extend beyond just 200, 300, 400 years is really important if we want to have any sense and statistical power to look at how climate change might uh, affect the future. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're going with that. And that's important for uh, cities, uh, for, sorry, for councils, for cities, for uh, government, for insurance agencies. Mm -hmm. um, they definitely want to know, uh, they want better forecasts um, because if they have, you know, a 30% better forecast just three months out, um, that can save them billions of dollars on the European reinsurance market. So it's, it's a, it's a critical thing to look at. Um, and there is real money involved. And so that's the, and, it, and it's also for people who are looking at uh, cyclone frequency. Mm. Um, you know, am I going to buy a home near the coast? 85% of Australians live very, very close to the coastline. Mm. And so knowing about how these things are going to change over time is really important. I live in railway estate. I'm, I'm definitely right on the bloody edge of where a cyclone surge would definitely hit me, and with 50 centimeters of sea level rise, I'm going to start seeing king tides in my front yard. So these kinds of things are important to, to uh, research and to talk about. 
So when we see Nathan's house up for sale, we know it's time for us to potentially move. No, no, you should definitely <laughs> buy that house. Absolutely, you should buy that house. <laughs> now, um, without getting too political, what is your personal stance on climate change as we stand today? Oh, look, it's happening and it's human driven. Um, you can't... Look, our... 85% of our atmosphere is within 12 kilometers of the Earth's surface. Now, you get on a Google Maps and find something that's 12 kilometers away, and it's about a 10-minute drive. So in about 10 minutes, we can drive to the top of most of our atmosphere. Um, when you look at how much carbon we emit, um, your car, on average, will have emitted between 3 to 10 African elephants' worth of carbon dioxide over its lifetime. Now you look at if you drive around town and you imagine ten or uh, five or ten elephants on every single car you see, and then you look at the top of your atmosphere, we're definitely having an effect. You wouldn't park your car in a garage and leave the engine running with the door closed, uh, and that's essentially what we're doing: is we are leaving the engine running, and we're all arguing about who should turn their engine off first, uh, and we're all sitting in a closed parking garage. So I, I'm really passionate that we have to reduce our carbon footprints. Um, we have to find alternative sources of energy, and that, for me, and lots of people don't like this, um, includes nuclear as well. Uh, I just, it, although I think we've missed the boat on nuclear in Australia, even though it would have been a perfect energy source for us, uh, just given our our location, our geology, and that. But yeah, definitely we have to we have to do some uh, retooling here because it's just and there's money to be made in it too. This is the thing I can't understand is there's definitely money to be made in renewable energy and uh, we just have to have the will to to get there and do that. But yeah, it's um it's the it's what I do. It's my science. I I I'm not political about it. I'm very um I'm very rational about it in that you look at CO two. We've known that CO two in the atmosphere traps heat for over a hundred years. It's not new science. It's established science. If you believe in infrared missiles on Air Force aircraft, you have to believe in the science of climate change because they use the same principles of atmospheric windows uh, and radiation. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's for me, it's not a political issue. It's a scientific issue. Yeah. 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 Good one. Good answer. Um, now it was been completely remiss of me to set the scene in here for the listeners because are you going to tell them about the dead bird? <laughs> I am. We're sitting in Nathan's <laughs> office, and I'm surrounded by well, a dead bird carcass, um, lots of tree rings, plants, and mood lighting. I just absolutely love it, and it goes now, can to I, show the passion. Can Sorry, I, what you, did I miss? <laughs> well, you said mood lighting. Can I just say it's a couple of lamps with warm light bulbs? It's not like you know disco ball mood lighting. It's just I don't like the cold fluorescent lights, and so I've gone out and bought my own lamps with warm lighting. It is very warm lighting. It's it feels lovely when you walk into <laughs> into the office. I'm still unsure about the dead bird, but um... oh, look, it's a fully articulated raptor skeleton. <laughs> All right. It's a fully it articulated raptor skeleton, and it's fantastic for teaching. And now that you've brought it up, Izzy, thank you very much. Um, or maybe I brought it up, but it's great because it's a great um, example of the principle of uniformitarianism, which is that we can learn about the past by studying the present, and we can uh, learn about the present by studying the past. And if you could see this bird skeleton, the first thing you'd notice is that it's all the parts are there, all the little. Uh, gentle uh, beak parts, the orbitals, the talons, but also its head is arched backwards. 
um, so that the back of its skull is you know, starting to touch its back. And if you look at dinosaur fossils, they often have that same arch in their, in their uh, neck. And it's because the last tendon to sort of rot away is that tendon that connects the back of your neck to your spine. And as it dries, it actually pulls your head back. And so the science of how things die and how they're preserved is called taphonomy. So this is a great example in taphonomy of how we can study a, a modern specimen and learn something about past fossils because they look exactly the same, because they've gone through the same process. I respect it now. That's actually quite intriguing. <laughs> I never told you that before? No, you oh, haven't. Geez. I've just seen I've the dead remiss. bird in the office. No, no, there's a reason for it. It's a reason. And usually when I show it to students, I show it uh, alongside Archaeopteryx, which is one of the, sort of the bir first bird fossil analogs. And Archaeopteryx looks almost exactly like this fully articulated raptor skeleton. Dare I ask where it came from? Uh, it came from a creek bed behind JCU. I was out just walking around, having, a, having an explore, and I came across it in a creek bed, and I got there at just the right time. It had mostly all the uh, rotting tissue had been taken away by ants and microbes, and all the uh, durable tissues which were still holding the skeleton together hadn't decayed yet. So I was, I was just in time uh, to collect this specimen, and it's, I, I love it. It's fantastic. What an exciting moment for you. <laughs> I love science, man. I love nature. It's so cool. And I love the wonder behind it, too. Like, you should have seen my face when I found this. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God. I can just <laughs> picture it. <laughs> and it leads to my next question, which you've pretty much answered because you can see the joy in your face. But what, what makes your job worthwhile? The people. Actually, it's, it's that I love the science, mm -hmm. but um, the teaching part of it is I, I really, really enjoy. I love it when I'm teaching a student at a practical or a res school or during a lecture and they and you can just see the light bulb go off and they go, oh, I get it now. And it's just like, yes, awesome. And I love that. I'm getting, you can't see it, but I'm getting goosebumps. I love that aha moment. And that moment when a student overcomes some hurdle in their thinking and it clicks. Mm -hmm. And I just love that. And it just makes it so worth it. And it's so much fun to share that joy and passion for things. And some students, you know, they don't, they're never going to touch another fully articulated raptor <laughs> skeleton. Um, but they sense how much it, it is interesting. And they can be like, okay, yeah, I, I get that. Okay, mm -hmm. that's cool. And then you show them a picture of the fossil and they're like, oh, yeah, wow, cool, okay. And they, they don't care about you know they're not gonna they're gonna go on and do business or finance, but I've given them that sense, mm -hmm. that little bit of joy, out of the natural world and seeing how it's put together. And for me, that just I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. It really is. So if you could give a student one piece of advice, um, what would it be? If I could give a student one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I usually tell them to squint. <laughs> I usually tell them to squint, and what it means is. Don't get so bogged down on the details that you lose the overall picture. Students are often, they have to memorize tons of things. It's all this new information. And they forget that there's these overarching themes. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really important to step back sometimes and to just squint a little bit, blur your vision a little bit so you can see the overall shape. And it's, it's that, that old uh, saw about, you know, don't lose the forest through the trees. Um, but I really think it's important for students to step back and, and think about, you know, th this is, these little details are important because they build a picture, mm -hmm. 
But if all you're focused on is the little details and you never see the picture, you're missing something. And it's usually that big picture, which is the really, aha, oh, that's cool. Um, so yeah, so squint. That, awesome. I, it also helps when you're looking at really messy data sets <laughs> to squint because if you can't if you can't see it in the in the details, sometimes if you squint, the the picture the the story will leap out at you. I love it. That's great. Yeah. So squint. So squint. I'll remember that next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question I had for you, Nathan, is that I guess from a more um, non work related point of view um hobbies things like that i understand you have just come back from an amazing overseas trip um and which you did take your family with you what was that experience like i also understand that it was the first time potentially in your cqe career that you didn't take your work with you i didn't take my laptop i'm so glad i didn't uh now there might be people who i still owe emails to (laughs) who wish i had but i yeah so i went um i love to travel and it's a really, I love to see different parts of the world. Um, and I just took uh, the family. So my two boys, my three stepchildren and my partner, we all went to Europe together for two weeks. And then she's actually still in Europe uh, doing some additional tours. But it was just lovely. It was fun um, because I had my family with me, number mm-hmm. one. And we all got to really spend a lot of time together in a, in a small Airbnb. And we enjoyed each other's company. It was actually worked out pretty well. <laughs> um but yeah, it's just, and it was fun to share that travel with my boys who mm. never really traveled. Be, well, they've traveled a lot to the U.S. and back, but never they've never been to Europe really before and to show them those different things. And I'm sure they probably don't ever want to see another stone building again, but <laughs> there were some things they enjoyed. And uh, But for me, what I'm really passionate about is travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to hike. I love to climb. I love to sail. Um, I haven't had as much time in the past three years as to do those things as I'd like, but I do enjoy them when I can. So you do get to do a little bit of that as part of your field trip works. Um, is that, yeah. Yeah. So, well, we're working on that. So we've got a new, uh, a new unit this year called environmental monitoring. And part of that is to take a three day field trip to Thornhill station, uh, just south of Miriam Vale. And I'm really excited about that trip because that's going to be a lot of, uh, getting students out in the wild getting students out to see how do we measure the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be a lot of aha moments, and it's going to be a really fun trip. We're going to do uh, uh, animal trapping, uh, fish trapping, vegetation transects, uh, photo trapping. Uh, we're going to do bat surveys. Uh, it's just it's going to be a really good time, uh, and it'll be outside, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So, yeah. Which leads me to the next um, statement. This week, CQUNI launched its employee value proposition, which tells us that our jobs changes lives. To me, it sounds like you're changing lives. Yeah, I, look, there are other jobs that probably change lives more. So my, my partner is a senior social worker for Queensland Health, and every day she does really important work that really helps people sort of either get the services they need or figure out how do they interact with their children. Um, and it's incredibly valuable work. Um, I think my impact's a little bit more subtle, and I and I'm okay with that. Uh, but I think the way I like to, I, I hope that my impact on students and on the communities around me is uh, sharing my passion, and maybe lighting that fire. Uh, in even even if I light that fire in one student out of thirty, that's a fire that's been lit. Mm-hmm. And I'm really passionate about trying to light as many fires as I can about the natural sciences and about what we can learn 
from the world around us and how we can be better stewards of the world around us. Um, and I really, I really think that's the, the value we bring. Now, my research does other things which are valuable in a monetary mm. sense by improving forecasts for uh, governments and, and industry. And I think that's important. Mm. For me, the personally rewarding work comes from teaching students and from interacting with uh, the community around the natural sciences and sharing that passion and joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's finish this off with what's next for Nathan, both, I guess, short-term and long-term. Uh, in the short-term, uh, I'm really excited. I've got a, a postdoctoral student, Heather Haynes, Dr. Heather Haynes, uh, who will be continuing and expanding on the tree ring work, which right. is fantastic. And I've got a new PhD student, Jesse Gray, who's looking at storm tracks and historic storm, storm tracks across Queensland and New South Wales. Uh, again, all sort of working towards that uh, broader goal of improving forecasts for government industry and communities. Um, for me personally, I'm currently the head of course. And so we've, head of course is a weird, is a weird role because you essentially are oftentimes volunteered for it. Um, <laughs> and it's a, it's a lot of carrying the ball and just making sure you don't drop it and always trying to make sure that ball moves forward. And it's very much a team exercise and you're not, you're not the head of course as much as you are just a focal point in a, in a long line of a team who's all standing on the line at the same level. Um, and oftentimes many of my colleagues are, are way ahead of me mm-hmm. in that line and, um, and quite experienced and fantastic mentors. Uh, but it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward to that day when someone else takes up the head of course role and I can really focus a lot. It, so it's a lot of administration. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it. Actually, mm-hmm. I, I do enjoy administration. I hate to say that because now somebody's going to volunteer me for something else. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to when I can focus on that teaching and that research. Oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And then in five years, um, I'm really uh, just focused on what I'm doing now. And I hope to have a larger research group in five years. We'll, uh, probably in Townsville, I've got my own plans for Townsville as far as having research labs and spaces here for students as well because we, we are starting to build a, a research group here in Townsville. Which is really exciting. So. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. We've got a lot of students in health sciences um, and now we've got a couple of students in environmental science as well. So it's growing. I really like this is, and you haven't given me a chance to talk about Townsville. <laughs> Go for it. But I'll just tell you Townsville is the best campus <laughs> at CQU and it's really at one of the joys of my job is I love everybody I work with here. It is just fantastic. And um, I interact with everybody, and it's always really great to come to work. We pull together when there's a disaster like the floods. I've, I've never been uh, more excited to be part of a, of a group of people at work than I was when those floods happening and everything was hitting the fan. And it was just a, it's a real, I feel really safe here. And I feel really comfortable, and it's uh, I feel valued, and it's fantastic, and I value everybody here too. It's really good, and we have a massage chair. <laughs> yes, we might have to add this photo <laughs> to the podcast for that one, just yeah, so everyone I, can envy it. It's not in my office with the mood lighting, though. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, thank you, Izzy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure on my end too. Thank, thank you. you. Like this podcast? Don't forget to rate, review and share with your friends.